Hey folks, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's a Saturday. You're probably going, what on earth is going on? Sean's releasing a sixth podcast of the week, which sounds, uh, you know, when I put it that way, and you're like, eh. I am... Um I've been, uh, you know, the election, I got Danny Hozak sitting across from me. So first off, Danny, thanks for uh, for hopping in. Thanks for inviting me. It's it's funny. I, I was talking with uh, Dustin uh, over the course of the week, and I haven't really done a whole lot with the election, you know. I, uh, I've almost been a little bit cynical of it, and I don't mean that in a terrible way. I just haven't done, you know, I, as much as I haven't done, I've certainly done a lot of uh, election coverage with twos, and we got our mashup coming up uh, Monday night to, like, actually cover the election and uh, results and everything else, but... Normally, I would have uh, sunk all my effort into covering all the candidates of Lloyd, my area, Wainwright, Vermilion, and, you know, letting the audience kind of pick and vote and whatever. And uh, and somewhere along the way, I just, I went, you know, the UCP is going to win this outright and, and you know, uh, life goes on. And then two things happen. So I, I basically go, I've already had Garth on the podcast a while back. I don't think I need to, you know, what am I going to rehash? And I know that people are like, well, you should have had them all on. Anyways. So I'm driving, uh, this is about, I don't know what it was, 10 days ago when I text you, and I look over and I see your name, and I go, Danny's running? Where did this come out of? So that's one. And two is is uh, yesterday morning, I'm meeting with uh, a men's group, and one of them who I respect says, actually, I think Danny's got my vote. I didn't know he was running. I went and listened to the all-candidates debate, and I think he's got it. And I'm like, really? And so then me and Dust started talking back and forth, and I'm like, I put on a ton of stuff. And Danny, every step of the way, has come and listened and, cha- you know, you were at the last for yep. kids' sake and you stood up and had your piece. And I, and I went, yeah, I gotta, I at least got to pick on this just a little bit. You know, I feel bad for all the candidates. So to all the candidates uh, running in Lloyd, I, you know, I'm going to apologize first. I should have had, I should have been more on the ball and I should have had everybody on and, and uh, done what I normally do. I just, you know, I, I went, uh, and this sounds cynical. I just look at it and I go, I think the UCP is going to win. I think most people in the, in the area think that. And, uh, and yet, a guy should always uh, give everyone a voice, uh, certainly sitting in my seat, to kind of share. That all being said, Danny, you're running. You surprised me. And I went, how can I do this and get you on the podcast, not offend everybody because I didn't bring every candidate on, and, uh, well, and, and just give you some time to share your thoughts and why you're you're hopping into the ring uh, and all that good stuff. I hope that gives enough background. Well, the main reason I'm hopping in is to... Uh like de- defend you know, our our area, and uh, there, there's three there's three major contenders in the election. There's Rachel Notley. We've we just sent out a poster. I just spent uh, the day delivering about seventeen thousand posters, and the top of the poster says, "Carbon net zero is a ridiculous solution to an imaginary problem." That's a Jordan Peterson quote. Rachel Notley in our poster says, "I support carbon net zero to save the world." Danielle Smith says, I support carbon net zero to save my job. We argued with her this over this uh, even in uh, when she was the Wild Rose leader. And Paul Heyman and our party are saying, we reject carbon net zero. The world needs more food and energy from Alberta, not less. And so we thought, I mean, at least I thought, that we needed somebody in the discussion that was prepared to stand up for uh, Lloyd Minster and our energy industry and the... Uh, and the people in our area who produce food, and most importantly, the people in our area who eat food. Like, people have been asking me, well, what's the main thing you hear? And I say, well, the main thing I'm hearing is from people of modest means saying, like, I'm having trouble paying the bills. I'm having trouble, like, by the time you buy the groceries and fill the car with gas, there's darn little left for a lot of people. Well, when did... Okay. I'm not going to argue with you. uh, To me, uh, one of the things I'd hoped to do was... 
you know, you've supported me through thick and thin uh, since I started. And I don't know if, uh, you know, and so I look at it and I'm like, the fact that you're running, because I, when did you announce? Like uh, maybe you announced and I just live under a rock. That is possible. No, uh, we, we had a, we had a young fellow that was just, you know, quite, uh, quite excited about running. Actually, I met him at uh, your, uh, your podcast event in, uh, in Edmonton, like uh, a month or so back. Okay. And he said, Oh, I've been really interested in this. And so I talked to him a few times and, uh, I, you know, on about the sometime the 22nd or 23rd of April, I spent two or three hours having lunch with him and he was pretty much set to go. And then he did what uh, you know, most men who have a long, happy marriage have the good sense to do. He went home and he talked to his wife about running. And she said, <laughs> and he absolutely. called me back the next day and said, no, you're not running. Like you should, you might as well have talked to me before you went for lunch with Danny. But in any event, so he was out. So we got, we, uh, you know, we, we. We, we had some difficulties in our Wild Rose Party. We feel like we've been sabotaged by some for, from, you know, ne'er-do-wells for reasons that we do not understand. And uh, we had to form a new party. And to form a new party, you had to register 45 candidates. So I ended up, you know, this so this all happened. We, we were hoping he would do it, put his name in from this area. But on about the 27th or 28th, he backed down. And, uh, and Pat, my, you know, God bless my dear sweet wife. She said, well, Danny, maybe she knew how much work I'd done trying to get to the 45. And she said, well, maybe you'll just have to put your name in so we get the 45 and we get the party going, you know, whether you campaign or not. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't have had the nerve to ask her if I could run, even if I would have thought of running. But anyway, when she suggested, I thought, well, I guess I could put my name in. But once I got my name in, I think you know me well enough. It's sort of not in my nature to put my name in and then not try hard. So we're giving it our best shot. Like I say, we're the, we're, you know, we're, we're the only party that's standing up for, uh, for the energy industry, for agriculture, for people who eat. Like this, this is insane. And I mean, like, Rachel Notley wants 2035. She wants carbon net zero by 2035. Danielle wants it sometime later. And it doesn't matter how you cut this. Carbon net zero means a lower standard of living for people in our area. It means a lower standard of living for, it means lower revenues for the government. It doesn't matter. There's, there's no miracle revenue comes from windmills and from turbines and all that. It's all a big tax drain. And when the subsidies stop, the windmills will stop turning. So if we really want to have food and energy, we need the fossil fuel industry. And actually, we need somebody who has the guts to speak up and say, uh, yeah, we're going to have this one way or the other. You know, um, yeah, I, I've kind of um, I've thrown this on you uh, without allowing you know a little bit of background on Danny because you know you're gonna have people listening to you. Um, I can just imagine the people out east when they when they roll into you know the the Saturday podcast. Like, Whoa, what's going on here? Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's an additional one this week because of the importance of the election coming up. And uh, I, I don't think I need to explain that to Albertans uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think, but you never it never hurts. Um, You've been active in politics in this realm for a very long time, at least from my eyes and from what I understand. Maybe you could give the listener, the voter, a little bit of background on um, how long you've been a part of um, you know, politics and staring at the problems we see and, and how it's continued to progress. Because you're a guy, you know, I, I, I joke when, I'm, when, I, when I struggle with, like, I wonder how I can get a hold of this person. You know, it, it's it's funny. You go, well, I bet you Danny knows it. And I didn't know that a while ago, but yeah. now it feels like you. And, of course, you've had him out to Lloydminster or you've met him here. And, you, you know, you're a well-connected man. Uh, 
and uh, it's been interesting to get to know you. Obviously, you know my older brother a bit a bit better than we, uh, you know, as we continue to get to know one another. But I, I think for the listener, the voter, maybe you could give a little bit of background on how long you've been at this and some of the things you've seen change over your time staring at the problem. Well, you know, I actually helped, like Bud Miller was our neighbor, and I helped Bud Miller when he got elected in 1971. So, you know, I've been working on this longer than most of the people who will be listening to this have been alive. And uh, and I was the candidate in 2012 for the Wild Rose. I was the candidate in 2015. But in 2012, as you know, uh, we were, uh, Danielle came along with quite a flair. She was doing a wonderful job. She's got a, she's a pretty articulate lady. And let's just be clear, in most areas in the province, we're hoping she will win like we're we we uh we don't want to split vote either and i want to get to a split vote in a few minutes here we don't want to split vote and so we're basically we're running a candidates in areas where you can divide the ucp vote from the next election in half and not get the ndp but while we're on the split vote i'll get back to sure. my experience in a little bit but let's i think this split vote thing is one of the most important things in this election and some of my good ucp friends have been calling saying danny like you just can't risk running you're splitting the vote like what if we get rachel notley let's be clear i mean i like no one in the conservative movement wants rachel notley but then i'll say to these people who say well danny you just can't run and I say, well, here, here, you know, when Brian Jean put his dancing shoes on, we had 21 seats and the PCs had 55. So I said, you call your friends and tell them not to run against our 21 and we won't run against your 55 and then we won't have to worry about splitting the vote. Oh, we couldn't do that. Like, we have to have a candidate in the area. Really? Like, I mean, some of these UCPers, quite frankly, have become as arrogant in four years as the PC party became in 40 years. Why do they have a right to represent this area or any other area, especially when you're representing this area and where, you know, our wealth, our, our prosperity, the standard of living we have here in Lloydminster comes from the oil industry, it comes from agriculture. And, you know, we, we have, like Danielle, bless her heart, is talking about carbon net zero. I mean, and so it, it's an oxymoron. I mean, you, I mean, you, you can't believe in carbon net zero and talk to people about, oh, we want you to have a higher standard of living. We want you to have more take-home pay. We want you to, you know, to have a bright future. It's an oxymoron. Let's go back to 2012. We were, uh, we, were, uh, we were leading on Friday night, and we lost on Monday. And I'm happy to be here tonight to announce that we're going to win on Monday because we're, we're behind on Friday, and we're going to win on Monday. Take my word for it. And so anyway, when it was over and we'd lost, Kevin Avram, who was the original founder of the Canadian Taxpayers, said, Danny, they just didn't understand. They just didn't understand how important this election was. They didn't understand the issues we were talking about. As we went through the 2012 campaign we started something called the wild rose coffee room and we were writing i was a candidate for a full year before the uh the 2012 election and we started the wild rose coffee room we were writing letters to the editor we were having meetings and i think we had 14 people in our wild rose coffee room and seven or eight of them won because people understood the issues because we'd taken the time to explain the issues to them and so when it was over kevin said they just didn't understand well enough what we were doing you know what i mean so anyway we he helped and he was the main he was the main mover and shaker that started our economic education association which has led to these freedom talk conferences which we call essentials of freedom conferences because you know the the conclusion we came to and the reason i know a lot of these people is that from around in from around the country from around the world that are talking about the future of the country is because they understand too 
If we want to continue to remain free, we have to do a better job of explaining it to people. Anne Rand wrote a book, I think, in the 50s called The New Intellectuals, and she said, we have been betrayed by the intellectuals, and quite frankly, we have. When you look at the rubbish that comes out of a lot of our universities, a lot of our schools, it's absolutely intellectual rubbish when it comes to actually generating wealth and increasing the standard of living of a people. So anyway, we set up our these Freedom Talk conferences, and one of our most sought-after speakers has become Andrew Lawton. And he's spoken several times, and, he, and, and Patrick Moore, from, who the original founder of Greenpeace, has said the same thing. We are increasingly being governed by people who've never studied anything in their life except how to get elected. They have, a, they have lots of bright ideas on how to get elected. Jason Kenney prided himself in never having lost election. But what we found out once we elected him, actually never governed anything. He'd never, never actually done anything, and that became increasingly clear on that. Now we know she's, he's gone. And I'm just going to put in a plug here for Danielle because, like I say, at the end of the day, we're, we're not running enough people to form the government. So our only hope for, the, for a brighter future is for Danielle to win in, in the ridings, in some of these other ridings. And when, when the first time when she was running, she would, uh, somebody would say, well, I think we should do this. And she oh, no, we've already thought about it. It doesn't work. We're not doing it. Well, I think she said to me one night, she was actually stayed at our place after she was at, spoke at your podcast. And she said, I wish I'd have spent the six years on the radio before I went into politics. Because one of the things that being on the radio taught her, maybe it's teaching you too, is like you have to listen to everyone and you haven't got time to every, argue with everyone's idea. You say, yeah, that's an interesting idea. I'll, uh, let me give that some thought. And so to, to her credit, she's given a lot of time to thinking about governing and she's being picked on by both sides, like for, you know, a whole host of reasons. But generally think, speaking, like I still had a UCP membership and I voted for her because she's given a lot of time to thinking about how to govern. Having said that, she ran on Wild Rose policy and got elected and the one thing that wasn't in Wild Rose policy was, and I hate to seem like an old dog with a bone, but I'm an old dog with a bone. The one thing that isn't in Wild Rose policy is carbon net zero. And I mean, Garth went there to talk about, oh, you know, I want to talk about, uh, you know, I want to talk about climate. And I was there at the meeting when he said to Jason Kenney, oh, I want to... Uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, climate, and I think CO2 is good for the planet. That's how we're feeding a hung. Oh, yeah, Jason said, like, whatever, you can bring up whatever you want in caucus. That's good. We're happy to have, we have an open thing. But what Garth found out, and I think most people know that study it, when he wanted to talk about it, he said, well, yeah, you can talk about that, but that's not really in our message. And if you get off message, well, you won't be on any committees or anything. And uh, so it really wouldn't be that good for your career if you actually brought that up. And see, this, this leads me to the second plank in our platform, which is recall. And it's our, our little short phrase for recall is, if you can't fire them, don't hire them. So when, when, when Garth goes to uh, Edmonton and says, well, I'd like to talk about CO2, and they say, well, you can talk about it if you want, but uh, you won't be on any committees or anything. Well, if you actually had recall, he could say to the leader, well, you know, Maybe I won't be on any committees, but I can tell you they've got recall out there and I've signed the agreement and they can fire me if they want to. So if I don't talk about it, I won't even be in caucus, let alone any committees, because they're going to be firing me. So I actually think it helps your, it, it, it helps, the, it actually helps, you know, Garth might not think I'm helping him right now, but if we actually had recall, it would be easier for him to take our issues forward. Of course, I'm hoping to be the person that's taking the issues forward, but across the province, if we actually had effective recall, that we could, uh, uh, I mean, then, 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 then you can actually represent your constituents. 
Well, here's the thing. I think for myself, and I'll throw myself on this grenade, Danny's talking to, uh, acting like he's talking to a guy that has been in, involved in politics all his life. So how about we break this down just quickly? Sure. When you talk about recall, I think I understand the message, yeah. but the idea is right now, if if you were elected, whoever gets elected as an MLA, you're stuck with them for the next four years, no matter what, because there's no way to essentially fire them. And by fire them, I mean your voting population has no ability to oust them. And you're not doing what we want, done. You're out the, you're out the door. With recall, if that was put in, that would give you the ability to do what? Well, with, with recall, you can fire them. Like like I said, like no one no one in, in, in the in their own personal business would hire someone and say, well, Sean, if you show up on Monday, I'll give you a company credit card. I'll give you access to the checking account. And uh, the first job review we're going to have is going to be in four years. Like, it's sort of a joke to even mention. You think, are you kidding me? Like, like, like my uh, type of job. Yeah. Your kind of job. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for one of them too. But I mean, and so, so, but I mean, no one would do that in the real life, in the real world, <laughs> but yet somehow we seem to accept it in politics. And so when we're, we're saying we want recall and, and see, Jason Kenney campaigned on two things in the last election. One, doing something about equalization. We, as we all know, we send about six, $30 billion, no, $20 billion a year net to Ottawa over 30 years. $600 billion we sent there over the last year, 30 years. He campaigned on that, said, we're going to do something about equalization. We're going to get tough on this. Well, he, he campaigned on it. He got 70% support. He hadn't done anything for six months. He was speaking at a Manning function. By his own admission, he stayed up all night writing up something to, uh, to do to deal with equalization. I think, buddy, you've been working for us for 19 years, and you had to stay up all night to think of how you were going to fix a problem like this problem. Like, I've been thinking about this problem for 19 years, and I've had a solution for it for 19 years. He, he, he didn't come up with this. This is like a kid who, who stays up all night cramming for uh, finals. But in any event, his, his suggestion was to come up with the Fair Deal panel. So he set up the Fair Deal panel, hired a bunch of his friends, drove around the province. 800 people made submissions. 10,000 people sent in submissions. Can you imagine the time and cost that that took ordinary people who don't get paid to do this stuff? They, like, I mean, I went and I made my presentation. I spent a whole day. Maybe you don't like my presentation. Maybe you do. But I spent a whole day making my presentation. 800 people did the same thing 10,000 people sent in stuff and and then he said yeah we are. so then the panel they, they studied it all they went over all the information they came out with the fair deal report said yeah 70% of the people wants to do something about equalization probably the same 70% that elected you did to do something about it a year ago but nevertheless so then he said so what did he do he said yeah we'll have a referendum on it so we had a referendum on it surprise surprise 70% of the people said they wanted to do something about equalization and what did he do said, yep, yeah, 70% want something done about it. I've written a letter to J Justin Trudeau, told him we want something done about it. Now we're going to bring in, we're going to start working on legislation for recall. Well, the first thing is you don't need legislation for recall. All you need is, like, when Paul got elected first, he said, you have my word. If 50% if plus one of the people that vote for me in this riding, if 50% one plus one sign a petition, I'll step down and run a by-election, and I'll explain why why I did what I did, and if you don't vote me back in, that'll be that'll be my just reward. So Jason Kenney changed the topic from from equalization to uh, 
to to uh, recall. recall, and then he, so they then they passed recall legislation. But in their recall, le- like our 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 proposed recall, if you're not happy with who gets selected on Monday, you can start taking signatures on Tuesday, and you know you've got sixty or ninety days to get the signatures, and thirty days later there'd be election. So you could have somebody out in somewhere between two months and ninety days. You know what I mean? Well, J- Jason's recall, you can't do anything for the first eighteen months. Well, anybody who's watching any po- politics at all knows how much damage you can do to a country like Joe Biden has in 18 months. So it, for one thing, that doesn't make any sense. But then their formula in, in here in Lloydminster would take about six or 7,000 people to recall somebody. In his formula, it would take 16,000 people. Like you might be able to get 6,000 signatures, but you couldn't get 16,000 if your life depended on it. So basically, in my speech that I gave at the uh, forum the other day, I said, basically their recall legislation turned out to be like a shiny new car with no brakes so then then we come to now i'm coming back to andrew lawton talking about people all they've ever studied is how to get elected and so one of the clever things that they've come up with is they've got us all scared about uh, about splitting the vote even though garth got 79 percent the ndp got 13 you could split the vote five ways and one of the conservative one of the conservative five would still get elected to me, I, I don't know about everybody else. I asked Tim Hoven this because Tim Hoven's yep. running as an independent. Yeah. Now, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Now, it's billed as this real super tight election. It's NDP, UCP. It's so close. Calgary's going to be the battleground. If we don't win Calgary, the NDP could come in. Raw, raw, raw. Uh, you know, um, just cue the fear porn from all sides. Like, I mean, it's just it's just everywhere. You know, I walked into the building, and then walking into the building, I get in a parcel disagreement about politics. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go upstairs. I need to set up. I, I, you know, it's, it's it's a Friday we're recording this. I don't normally require to record, record this late and everything else. I come back to Tim Hoban's interview for one reason. He talked about both splitting exactly like you are. In that, in the individual riding, I think you get it. Uh, let's talk about it. The UCP got 79%. You split that in half. It's essentially 40% each way. Yep. And the NDP is still at 13. I think everybody that's paying attention goes, oh, yeah, full split, you're getting either the UCP or, in this case, Wild Rose. Yep. And Tim Hovind's the independent, not a big deal. Yep. My vote split idea that I'd thrown at Tim that I couldn't understand, and maybe you can help me understand this, I think of a different vote split. I can't figure out if the NDP UCP is like mano a mano and it's like, 40 seats to 40 seats right now. And if uh, where the UCP would get one of their seats, and while Rose takes one, now they're down to 39. That's a different type of vote split in my mind. That's if the NDP are super close. Does that make sense on a on an Alberta scale vote splitting versus an individual riding vote split? Yes. Well, um, there's some chance of that. But, I mean, like to me, I, I think Alberta would be better off with me like a like you could call it a vote split if you want but i mean like if i was there instead of garth i think it would be better for danielle because she could she could we would be we would give her the spine to do some of the things that needs to be done conservatively but i mean if you so so i mean like i don't call that a vote split the vote split that you're talking about is and and see let's be clear on this too we didn't get rachel notley because of a vote split we got Rachel Notley because of, betra- of a betrayal of leadership. Like, the, I mean, Jim Prentice betrayed his PC f- 
followers, and Danielle Smith betrayed us. Like, and so if they would have just if they would have just stayed in their own two parties and had an election, it would have been like today. Like one of them would have got forty percent, one of them would have got thirty eight percent, and the NDP would have got the twelve percent they all got. But the PCs were so mad at Jim Prentice, they're not going to vote for the Wild Rose, so they voted for the NDP to teach him a lesson. Well, our people were so mad at. Danielle. Danielle Smith, that they voted for the NDP to teach her a lesson. What we didn't understand until the Monday, Tuesday morning was how many people were mad at the, both of them. So, but here, here, here is the real betrayal. You know what I mean? And we don't, I, I'm going to forgive her for it, but if we end up with an NDP government, there's only one person and one party to blame, and it's UCP. Like, Danielle Smith got in, uh, uh, you know, what, six months ago. She's been the premier for six months, and we, we talked to her about it. We said, your recall isn't effective. Well, I've talked to my caucus. There's no appetite for changing the recall legislation. So, so any, you know what they're doing right now? So now they've got a shiny new car with no brakes. You know what they're doing? They're driving down the road saying, get off the road, get off the road. We've got no brakes. Well, maybe they're the ones who should be off the road. Certainly in this riding, they should be. Like Garth, I mean, Garth was there for four years. I mean, Danielle just got there. She had a whole host of things. She gets to be the new leader. She's trying to bring everybody together. But some of these people like Garth and, uh, and Grant Hunter, who's running against our leader, Paul Heyman, they've been there for four years. They had time to work on the brakes. They could have said, look, okay, you're busy. you got to bring your group together. you got to get your cabinet going. you got to try and smooth over some of these hurt feelings from the leadership race. But while you're doing that, we're going to get some decent legislation here so the brakes are fixed on this. So if something goes wrong, we can sort it out. I mean, go, even going back to... Uh, Jim Prentice and Danielle in, in 20, uh, when, when did we get them? 2015. Like if we'd have had real recall, we could have said to him, look, you know, she's got eight too many. You, you, you take, we're going to, we're going to recall the four. We'll recall four where you ran second and we'll recall four where we ran second. We won't compete with you. You don't compete with us. We'll have eight seats like, and we'll have this back in 90 days. Instead, we had to put up with we had to put up with four years of that because we didn't have any brakes on our car. And now, even though they've learned a lesson about having a car with no brakes, what do they do? They, they I mean, they, they, we've got another car with no brakes, and we really are in a lot of trouble if we get Rachel. We understand that we didn't run. We well, there's a couple of ridings where we ran against like Tyler Shandro and. Uh, and uh, Jason Copping, who were the health ministers, because I think that's another unfolding tragedy that we don't actually, you know, understand how badly they've hurt Alberta with that. But other than that, we've tried to not run, which I think, you know, I think it's more than fair of us. Like, we've been more than gracious. We've picked places where we think we can run, you know, we can run. We're not risking getting the NDP, but we're giving people an option that aren't happy with with uh, how they've dealt with equalization. I mean, Danielle's got elected on the Sovereignty Act. We all agree on that. But the Sovereignty Act is just a rewording of I'm going to stand up to Ottawa so we're not giving them $20 billion a year net. And so, and I mean, but now she's going to go to the Supreme Court. Like, I don't know anyone in Alberta who thinks that the Supreme Court's going to rule in favor of, uh, of Alberta. Alberta. It's not going to happen. Like, trust me. So again, you know what that is? It was a clever way to get elected again, but it's not a way to govern. And I mean, we've got some ideas to uh, stop sending the money down there so that uh, we'll get their attention. Like, Paul practically begged uh, uh, Alison Redford, like in whatever year she was here, no, they, they, they re-signed the equalization formula every five years. And he practically begged her not to re-sign it. So oh, that wouldn't be patriotic. Well, he said, 
Quebec hasn't signed the Constitution yet. Nobody calls them on patriotic. But he said, don't sign it. And, and somebody said to him, well, what would happen if uh, you don't sign? He said, no one knows because we've never done it. But you can be sure they'd be calling a first minister's meeting sometime next week if you didn't sign it. And yet nobody's ever had the guts to do it. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You it know, is. and we're talking about uh, Alberta as a whole. Uh, it's interesting that, um, you know, you got Quebec. And I mean... Just look at some of the stuff they're able to pull off. And everybody writes it off as this, that, and the other thing. But it's like, why haven't we had, you know, why? I asked this question, actually, of, of uh, when I was in Vermilion, and I had five of the seven candidates yep. running for the UCP. Yep. And you had, you know, the Daniel Smith and the Todd Lone and the Travis Taves and, and Rebecca Schultz and, uh, oh, Brian Jean, sorry. Yep. I was spacing on the fifth. Yep. It's like, what makes, at the time... I was thinking, you know, everybody's saying this raw, raw thing. We're going to be the ones. We're going to be the ones. And uh, I almost bring it all the way back to the Wild Rose. It's like, what makes you different than everyone who's come before you who say, comes in, you know, like raw, raw. We're going to be able to rock the world. And then they get into the machine and the machine just chews them up and spits them out almost. Not quite, but you kind of get what I'm saying. And it's reiterating your point of like, they come in. They know the mandate from the people, and then they fall flat on their face, or they sign the deal again for another five years, and they don't take a stand. What What is that, and what what makes you think that you could actually be effective at doing something about it? Well, because you can fire us, and we've promised you that. We've given you our word. We don't need new legislation. It's it's on our website. It's the it's the Wild Rose you know recall pledge. the The reason they're unaccountable is because we can't fire them. If like this wouldn't happen if you could fire them, like. Energy. Does does uh, sorry does yep. Quebec have uh, um, recall? recall? No, but but they're different. See, like everybody says, oh, we want to be like Quebec. I mean, like they say, like I don't yeah. know if I want to be like Quebec. I just no. look at what they're doing and able I, to I, accomplish, I and you but, go, so but, how but, are they doing? Yeah, well, there's nationalists and sovereignists in Quebec, and the nationalists think the best way to get money from from the rest of Canada is to say you want to stay. And the sovereignists think the best way to get money from the rest of Canada is to say you want to leave. But they all want money from the rest of Canada. But when you're the one, like, so when you're saying, well, I want to be like Quebec, well, do you think somebody's going to give us $20 billion a year net? No, they're not going but if to. We, so. But if we have control of our own destiny, we don't need it. Well, right. Yeah, but I mean, all these people that you're talking about, they've had control of our destiny for the last 30 or 40. In my lifetime, they've had control of our destiny, and it's got worse every day. And the reason it's got worse every day is because we couldn't fire them. And so, like, so, so, like, see, and and we we're talking about they're, they're talking about oh, money coming to Alberta and all this sort of stuff. If you were if you were the the the, the investment guy for a big company somewhere in the free world and they wanted to invest ten or twenty billion dollars in a new project somewhere and you said well I think we should go to Alberta like uh, if Danielle gets elected she doesn't want uh, she doesn't want net zero until carbon net zero till twenty forty or twenty forty five and the guy will say well we're we want to start a 50-year project. We don't want we don't want to get there and then find they're going to shut us down to get carbon net zero. And so we we still carbon net zero is a a regulatory impediment to do what we're doing. And I just want, see there's three things that have happened in my lifetime that I think we could have stopped. And th this is all from a failure of leadership. It truly is. Somebody ha like one thing I'll say for Quebec, their leaders bloody well stand up for Quebec. They don't say, "Oh, we'll send you twenty billion dollars extra because we're such nice people." They say, "No, we're not sending the money." Like, uh, I mean, like at least you're not keeping it without our consent anyway. But Energy East spent just over a billion dollars getting regulatory approval. And then the government just, well, uh, the government didn't really turn it down. It just got to a point where Energy East just said, no, we're not going to bother. And uh, 
Tech Frontier, as you know, was going to build another oil sands project, and uh, and uh, they they spent a billion dollars getting regulatory approval, and they passed all the reg. Everything was the the T's were crossed, the I's were dotted. They had regulatory approval for a you know I think it was a I, you know I've sort of lost track of it, but it was a two or three or four or five billion dollar mega project. They, all the approval was done, and uh, Justin Trudeau, as you know, at the end of February that year, he just canceled it. And, you know, I, I wish Justin, I wish Jason would have followed me on Twitter because he said, Jason, if Justin Trudeau cancels Tech Frontier, you should tell him that we will, we will, we will vote on separation from Canada in 30 days. And on the first day of our new country, we'll approve the Tech Frontier mine. Like, I mean, Tech Frontier had spent a billion dollars already. I mean, my guess is they'd have put 100 or 200 million more into uh, trying to help us win the referendum to, to separate. But of course, we didn't. And then the, the next thing that happened was the, the, when they were trying to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline, all the protesters were going on the, uh, the right of way. And uh, oh, it was just a horrible thing. It was stopped. The work was stopped. Everybody was wringing their hands about how bad it was. And I mean, again, I said, like all, all, all Jason Kenny had to do was phone the premier out there. Whatever his name is, Tom Harrigan, and say Horrigan or whatever his name is. Say, like, like I have to go back one step. Seventy percent of what gets unloaded in the in the port of Vancouver ends up east of Alberta. It comes through Alberta to get to the rest of Canada. Seventy percent, and I don't know how much of the oil that you know, goes in the pipeline that uh, Vancouver uses starts in Alberta. So all, all Jason had to do was call Horrigan and say, the next time one of those processors steps on the right away of that pipeline, we're going to block the train at uh, where the Alberta border on the same day that we shut the gas off. So you're going to be out there with a port full of ships and no fuel. And I mean, nobody ever would have heard about it because it just wouldn't have happened. He, Horrigan would have called the police and said, whatever you do, don't step like don't step on that right away. So some of these things are just flat out. They're a failure of leadership. You know what I mean? And so, uh, again, the way we're going to be different is, like, you may have noticed I got a, uh, I got a uh, platinum... Uh, you know, Jubilee medal or something, which, you know, Garth and company, you know, the provincial government gave out in January. But the, the uh, under my name, it said Danny has that Orwellian habit of telling people what they don't want to hear. And I mean, there's a lot of people don't want to hear this. And when we were in the old Wild Rose, we weren't allowed to talk about carbon net zero. We want, we were trying to pussyfoot around it. But now I feel quite, I, I feel quite at ease saying, look, like, we, we somebody needs to speak up for people who actually work to make a living. Uh, we really do. And so, anyway, that's where we're at. And uh, so, I'm I'm proud to do it. And I think we're giving people an option. If you want to vote uh, for if you want to vote for carbon net zero, you've got two choices. You can either get it by 2035 or 2045. If you don't want it at all, well, vote for me, and we'll be there, and we'll hold Danielle to account. And the other thing is with her the, her negotiating with Eastern Canada, if we elected three or four wild rosers, uh, I mean, she could go down to them and say, well, look, we have to get something done or the next time you'll be talking to that senile old Danny and he's not nearly as easy to get along with as I am. So, like, I really think we it would be easier for her to bargain if there was two or three uh, of us out there on the right holding her feet to the fire. You know, I, I'm curious, over your time looking at politics, have you seen more people gravitate, you know, this isn't, Take the election just out of yeah. the equation for a second. You know, is it, have, you've been staring at this like by your own admission yeah. since the days of Bud Miller. Yes, that's a long time. It is. Uh, 
Have you seen more of people gravitating to politics or have you been frustrated for forever because not enough people pay attention and uh, you see, you know, green guys like myself starting to dabble in it, trying to figure out what on earth is going on? And, and, and then my old age old question I've had on the podcast is how do you attract more people to get educated in how politics works, to be involved in it, to understand that we can change things? Well, I, I, I don't know if I would say I'm frustrated with I've, I've sort of come to realize that that's the way it is. And I, and people say, well, how are, like, like what makes you different? And I said, well, what makes us different is we're going to tell people the truth. And whether we win or whether we don't, at the end of the day, people will know we were telling the truth. And I got started in the, uh, in the 70s. It was the old Crow rate debate, the transportation issue with, uh, you know, the, it was between the grain companies and the farmers and the railways. And uh, we, uh, our, our, our manager at the Alberta Beef Producers, I was on the Beef Producers in the early 80s, ended up being the chairman of the Alberta Beef Producers. It was called the Alberta Cattle Commission at the time. But uh, a lot of the experience that I had in politics came from our manager, who was Chris Mills. And we, we, had, we had farmers with a grade 9 education that were quite able to, to debate with Ted Turner from Saspool and the head of, uh, of the railways because they were so well-educated and they just knew the truth. And uh, uh, Mark Twain said, the surest way to win an argument is to start on the right side of it. And when we actually, when we actually won that whole you know, freight rate debate, like I had friends came to me and said, like, how did you know that? And we said, well, like we just studied it. Like so, this stuff is not, it's not rocket science as, uh, you know, as Don Cherry would say. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just sort of basic, basic math and basic economics. And see, and, and I'm coming back to your question, like am I frustrated? I sort of am, but I'm sort of, like, I, I have some renewed hope. I, I didn't make it to the uh, J.R. Robson uh, uh, high school debate this time. I just had a conflict that I just couldn't make it there. But the last two elections, I think I won the uh, I won the elections because I would go and say, like, what you young kids have to decide is: Do you want the government deciding your future, or do you think you have the ability to decide for yourself? And I, I was speaking to a, a a group in Calgary one night, and they said, "Well, like, like again, like, what's different about you?" And I said, "Well." And he said, like, no one likes politics. And I said, well, they don't because you go to these young kids and you say, well, you should get involved. And then they get all excited. Oh, I'm going to help uh, Rachel. Or, I mean, lots of the young kids want to help Rachel a lot. Maybe they want to help Daniel, whatever. And so they get all excited about politics and they're all gung-ho to go. And then they get studying the issues and they think, well, carbon net zero is a hoax. Like, masks don't work. You know, the vaccine isn't saving anyone. Like, these people were lying to me. Like, these, these people are all a bunch of lying crooks. I don't want anything to do with this. Well, my answer to that is, well, let's just tell them the truth. And, I mean, like we had, uh, when some people say they're not interested in politics, I always say, well, actually, my grandpa wasn't interested in war either, but he still went twice so we could have a better life. And as you know, there was lots of people that were 15 or 16 years old who, when they saw the, when they saw like the the looming threat of whatever it was, and, you know, the Nazis or whoever, like I mean, they lied about the rage so they could go and fight in the war. So they were quite able, they were quite able to understand what was going on. And the Canadians, the Canadians just came up like the, some of the some of the battles we won, like they just weren't winnable. But somehow. You know, Canadian ingenuity figured it out, and it always bugs me because the people on the left they mock the, the. I mean, the people on the left always call Fort McMurray. They call it the tar sands. You know, I mean, they're mocking us, so they like to call it the tar sands. But I always say, well, actually, for about. 
10 million years, it was the tar sands. And then some young entrepreneur from Western Canada went to Fort McMurray with his young wife and his old half-dud and figured out how to get tar out of sand. And now it's one of the miracles of the modern world. And I mean, like the government didn't figure out how to get the tar out of the sand. It was some young entrepreneur who just said, look, this is the problem. Like we need more energy, like this tar, like you can burn it if you can figure out how to get it to the cars. And so, like, like I say, government didn't figure that out. Youth did, private people did, you know what I mean? And uh, when you look at the problem, like when you look at the great things that have happened in our life, like name one, they name one where the government invented like what made our lives better. It just does that. If, if it happens, I'd like to know what it is. So, so I see my, my I guess what, what encourages me is uh, I'll show you a picture when we're done of my, uh, you know, six year old computer expert printing out my uh, posters <laughs> here. He, like, uh, I think he, yeah, I think he printed out 4,200 last night, you know, and, uh, and his, and his, when his mom wanted him to go to bed, he said, well, no, I want to do two more piles. You know what I mean? So my hope is, my hope is that these, that we, 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 like, let's talk to the youth. Let's encourage them. Say, look, if you want a better world, you have to be involved in it. And mostly if you talk to them as an adult, which they're, most of them, you can talk to them as an adult and they understand that and they appreciate it. And I, and some of them have some really fascinating ideas. So I'm not discouraged at all. I think we just have to be, tell them the truth and then listen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I went and uh, I went and saw uh, Jordan Peterson in, in Edmonton there a couple nights ago. Yeah, thanks for calling me and asking me to come. Like well, a, it was a, you know what? Uh, it was a date night with my wife, so oh, it was good, perfect. Well, good. Thanks for not asking. Me yeah, to that's, come right. that. that's right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know he had a, he had a lot of as he always does. He had a lot of uh, interesting things to say, but uh, you know there was a, there was a few different things brought up. Uh, one of them being, and it was so timely. My wife being a teacher, yeah. you know. Uh, somebody had asked, they got this polling app like I like to use. I learned it from Jordan yeah. Peterson. And uh, essentially it was, you know, like, what do we do about the schools? And I thought his response was like, just perfect, like perfect. As I'm sitting beside a teacher yeah, and yeah. you, you know, I can feel my tension rise. Oh, don't say something stupid. That's just going to ruin my night, Jordan. Yeah. And instead he, he, he goes, you know, if you have a problem and it won't leave you alone, maybe you should get involved in it. And he goes, by getting involved in it, you can't be a jackass, you know, because yeah. nobody wants to be around nope. a jackass. Yeah, yeah, right. So you got to talk and you got to yeah. listen. So yeah. first thing is maybe you should go talk to the teacher and find out what they're seeing. And maybe that'll help you. Oh, okay. That's what they're seeing. And maybe then you'll go research it. And then you're starting to learn about the problem more. And he goes, and then, you, then you're going to find out more and you're going to go back to the teacher. And now maybe the teacher is like, well, my hands are tied because, you know, the board, this is what they're pushing. So now you got to go talk to the board. And he says, and all this time you're learning and growing and you're starting to understand how the system works. So then you talk to the board and you realize, oh, my goodness, this isn't going to work. Like, they don't even care. So now you realize, well, i got to run for the board. Oh, I didn't want to do that, right? So now you got to go out and talk to all these people to get you elected on the board. And he says... Over time, you accept more responsibility. And he's telling a crowd of 8,000 people this. And I've certainly been watching and listening to what he's been talking about. And I just thought it was beautifully put. It takes something so... Well, there's a lot of emotion tied up in the question, right? What do we do? You get involved. What do you do about politics? You get involved. And as you get uh, more into understanding and the problem and how it works... You're educating yourself. And if you start educating yourself, you can start to distill that information to people, regular folk, such as myself. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get this groundswelling of people supporting you because they, they look at you and go, you care? You understand? You're telling us the truth. Let's get you in there so we can fix this problem. It's not an overnight solution, but uh, certainly he's just like, you know, at, at the, you know, as he tells his story, he's like, your election coming up is really important, not only for Alberta, but for Canada and the world. And if you were feeling like a call tonight, 
you probably should call your MLA or people running. I guess there's no, you know, whoever's running yeah, yeah. and find out what you can do tomorrow. Cause there's yeah. still time. And, uh, I, I just, to me, when you talk about kids and, and, and I, I look at uh, young adults, it's like you got problems in your life that you think are really important. Just start the conversation and see what comes of it. Cause you might be surprised at what you learn in a real quick hurry. Well, you're right. And, uh, I had friends who went to see him in Red Deer too. And, uh, my friend Maureen said it was one of the best talks she's ever heard in her life. And she said it actually gave her hope that they could fix some of this. Like it's sometimes it, it's pretty easy to get negative where you think, Oh, oh it's easy. Yeah. yeah you, you can't fix this. You can't fix this. You know what I mean? And so she said it was just absolutely amazing, but I'm just going to take a little bit of a break and go back to my, uh, sure. my the quote. I'm, pull, I, the, I'm pulling you away. The, the, yes. No, no. But I just want to tell you the quote that I have on the top of our uh, thing. It's Jordan Peterson saying carbon net zero is a ridiculous solution to an imaginary problem. Now, maybe that's not a polite way to start that discussion. But on the other hand, that's at the heart of a lot of that. You know what I mean? And so, you know, uh, over the course, like we had the forums on Tuesday and Wednesday and uh, one in Vermilion, one in Lloyd. And we had two questions. There were, well, maybe three or four questions where they said, well, what are you going to do about this in the schools? What are you going to do about that in the school? What are you going to do about the curriculum? What are you going to do about some of these, you know, transgendered, all these issues that they're having in the schools? And I said, I, I, I don't think that's up. Like I said, I think the only criteria that the government should set is when the kid is done in your school he has to know how to read and write and a few other things but other than that i said to me i think we should have this this comes back to the local school boards this comes back to parents i said my 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 kids are growing up you know i mean some of my grandchildren are even growing up but but parents have to get involved in that and this is where i i think the conservatives have made a real mistake over the last 30 years is we've said we thought we would be all right just because we were right but it turns out you're not necessarily all right just because you're right. You have to be doing your work. And we've sort of left the school system. We've left the university system. Our friend John Robson, who's a, a big part of our Economic Education Association, when he first got out of, uh, got, got done getting his doctorate degree in, uh, in, uh, in, you know, this is probably 25 years ago now, he got a job teaching at the University of Calgary. One-year contract. At the end of the year, the professor said, up. Oh, you're done. He said, we would have never hired you if we'd have known how conservative you were. Well, see, you can imagine if you said we'd have never hired you if we knew how, you know, left-leaning you were, you'd get crucified. But, I mean, they just fired him. He was gone, and he's, you know, spent his life somewhere else. And he, he was teaching at the his classes at the University of Ottawa. But, again, they're, they're all for carbon net zero, and he's against it. So now he doesn't have any teaching there. So he's making a living outside of the university system. So we, we've, we as parents, have allowed the system to just – sort of forced the conservatives out of it, and now we're complaining about what we got. But going back to that, a lot of this comes back to the local school boards. And the one other thing that, that this is a little bit off the topic, but on all this, uh, on all these meetings to get, well, uh, I had a meeting with some people from the library board in uh, Vermilion, and I, you know what I mean? And, uh, and they said, well, would you be prepared to lobby for more money for a new library? And I said, well, no, like, I mean, we're, we don't believe in that. You know what I mean? And uh, Danielle didn't used to either. You know what I mean? But nevertheless, we, we, we would like the money to, we want to collect our taxes here. We want to have a real clear understanding of how much taxes are con co collected in our constituency. And uh, when, when Paul first got elected, he went in in 2004 and he went to treasury and he said, I'd like to know how many federal taxes are paid 
federal income tax are paid in my riding, how many federal, how many provincial taxes are paid, how much is donated to charity, charity. And I've got, I've got it. Well, I've got it right here somewhere. But like, I mean, so they just, they just pr printed it off for every, every constituent, every, every hamlet, every town, every municipality in Alberta. They just printed it off. And uh, in the, this was 2005, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the Alberta, the, the, it added up to about 160. Was it? I just forget the numbers, but I think it was 160 million. No, you know, yeah, in our in our area in 2005, we paid 160 million dollars in federal income tax out of our our constituency, and 60 million dollars in uh, in uh, provincial tax came to 200 million. Well, that was when, and that that time we generated six billion dollars of provincial tax. So now we're generating about uh, 10 or 12 billion of provincial tax. So my guess is our constituency now is sending about. Uh, somewhere around 400 million of federal and, and provincial tax to two different levels of government. So Paul's idea is to collect all this money locally, and then we'll f so we'll have. You talk about the tax points. The municipalities will have certain tax points, and then the the pro province has so much, and then we forward on to Ottawa what they need. But I think when you look at it, so he went back a year later, and so I'd like to get those numbers again. They said, oh, you know, we don't give those numbers out anymore. And I think like we we send. Alberta sends $50 billion, at least in 2015, we sent $50 billion to Ottawa, we got $30 billion back. They kept $20 billion. Well, my guess is if you look at what our constituency does, like we're sending, you know, uh, $400 million, now we might be sending $500 million, and we're getting $300 million back. But you can be sure if they were sending us more money from Edmonton than we were sending them, they would send us a note in the mail every day saying, oh, you know, we're doing more for you, we're doing more for you than you're doing for us. So we need you to send more taxes. So, like, I'm pretty sure we'll find, if we if we could get the numbers, that, like, again, we we send in 100% of our money and they send 60% back for us. And even the 60%, we have to beg for it. And j just while we're talking about Tech Frontier, like, uh, we're talking about having our own police force. And, you know, one, one, one of the journalists in Alberta, you know, wrote an editorial. This goes back a few years. He said, well, what the people who don't understand who want to collect our, who want to, uh, collect our own taxes, you know what I mean, is we'd have to hire 5,500 people to collect our own taxes. I said, yeah, well, actually, as a matter of fact, dummy, we do understand that. But the, the good news is we would fire 11,000 people in Ottawa. So then the 5,500 that we hired would live in Alberta. The, your wife, my wife, I mean, maybe maybe she'd be a teacher and you'd be the guy that was you know, looking after the pension plan or whatever. But see, Tech Frontier was, was a huge big thing because it was going to be a $2.5 billion uh, project over uh, you know 10 or 15 years. But we send $20 billion dollars to like we, we send them 50 billion they send us 10 back 10 billion back in transfers and they supposedly provide us with 20 billion in services 10 billion of that is labor and 10 billion of it is you know buying you know tanks and jets and fuel for the cars but so there's 10 billion in labor that they spend in Ottawa on our behalf well if you spent that 10 billion on labor that would be a 10 billion dollar a year every year mega project in Alberta I mean like I say Tech Frontier gets to be the you know the idol of the world till they got canceled for a two and a half billion over ten years. But if we did all if we did all these things for ourselves, it would be a ten billion dollar a year mega project in Alberta. Those people would work here, they'd live here, they'd raise their families here, they'd play hockey here, and they would donate to charity here too. We're we're very generous people when it comes to that. So anyway, you know you look at all this, and I get I guess I'm sort of rambling, but there's a lot there's a lot to be said about some of this. But again. Uh, 
Paul has sort of spent his life thinking about how to do this. And uh, it's it sort of, it, it, I'm fascinated by it, but I'm also encouraged by the fact that uh, it's amazing how many people are, are sort of becoming aware of it. Because I think things are getting tougher and tougher for a lot of people. And uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, they said there was actually two pandemics. There was one pandemic for the government and they got paid to stay home. And then there was another pandemic for people that, uh, you know, out in the real world. Some of them uh, just got told to go home and they lost their jobs. Some of these small businesses got forced to close. And uh, for some of us that are old enough to remember Danny Hooper, uh, he, uh, he used to have Danny Hooper Stockyard Club in the early 80s. And I heard him on CFCW one day and he said, we, we went broke in 1984. And he said, well, actually, no. He said, we went broke in 1981. It took us three years to figure it out. And quite frankly, some of these small businesses that the government is forced to close, sadly, probably went broke last year, but it'll take them two or three years to figure it out. And that's an absolute tragedy because I don't think it needed to happen. You know what I mean? And so some of these people are really frustrated. And the government, like, we need to get to the bottom of, like, what actually happened here. And you can be, you can be pretty sure, like, nobody, like, if we just end up with, UCP and uh, NDP and the legislature, none of them are going to want to get to the bottom of what actually happened here. And so uh, I, I, I'm just really hoping that people will say, you know, like uh, in the speech that I gave that the, uh, the speech that I gave at uh, the two forums, I said, I'm not asking you to vote for me for me. I'm asking you to vote for me for your children, our, our, our grandchildren, our future, because somebody has to ask these difficult questions. And I mean, and you look at it and uh, and they are difficult questions, and uh, and nobody's prepared to answer them. Like one of my dear friends has got a, she has a 25-year-old son, young wife, beautiful young. I think the baby's a year, maybe two years old now. I've sort of lost track. Anyway, he had to get vaccinated to get it to keep his job. Well, now he's got myocarditis and he can't work. So like, who's who's looking into that? Who's gonna like what is what is he gonna be on age for the rest of his life because now he can't work? Like I mean. Like somebody needs to ask these questions, what happened? And uh, one of the questions that came uh, up at the uh, forum the other night was, uh, they said like, is anybody gonna hold the government accountable for for uh, uh, basically sanctioning doctors who were trying to use hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin? And uh, when I heard that question, and I, I don't know who asked it, but when I heard the question, I thought, Thank you, God, because somebody needs to ask that question. And I talked to Garth about this in sometime in late 20. And I said, like, there, were, there was growing evidence that, you know, people were using ivermectin and it was, it was helping. They were using hydroxychloroquine and it was helping. And so I called and I said, Garth, I just can't believe that you're not, uh, that you're not uh, at least allowing them to do it. He said, oh, it's not us. He said, it's the College of Physicians and Surgeons. And he said, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want the government telling the doctors what to do, would you? And I said, well... Not really, but I said, if I were the government, I would tell the doctors what I was going to do. And I would tell them that we wanted to meet, I wanted them, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, to meet with our caucus. And I would tell them I wanted to be there on Monday and I wanted them to bring their best doctor and their best lawyer. And say, like at noon, if you haven't given us absolutely incontrovertible evidence that there's some danger from hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, we're going to charge you with criminal negligence causing death and arrest you right there in the meeting, and some of you will spend the rest of your life in jail. He said, well, you couldn't do that. He said, 
you could if you had enough balls. Like, I mean, you really could. Like, just, just call them in. For one thing, we all know this would be like my John Horrigan story. Like, it would never happen because they would find out about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and they'd be delivering it in person to their friends over the weekend so they didn't have to come to the meeting. But see, some of it, like, you have to study the issues just like we did in the Crow Rate and they just have to, okay, these are the facts. Like, I mean, and I, I'm all for, uh, like, I'm all for, like, I would say two-thirds of my friends are, are uh, vaccinated. We're all adults. I said some of my friends drink too much. Some of them smoke too much. Some of them think I drink too much. But, I mean, that's that's a personal choice, and I don't have any problem at all with, with personal choices. But I can tell you what I do have uh, problems with is uh, the government uh, continuing, continuing even with all the evidence, and even though that children have a 99.999997 recovery rate from COVID, they're still asking them to get vaccinated. And I said the other night, and I'm going to say it again now, they're, they're not actually, I'm all for vaccinations. I mean, I had polio vaccine, smallpox. I don't know how many other vaccines I got, whatever I was supposed to get when I was a kid. But this is not a vaccine. This is an experimental drug. And it was being tested on mice and all the mice died. So they quit testing it on the mice, I guess, out of fairness to the animals. And they started testing it on adults. And I mean, if grown adults want to take it, fine by me. But I think the people that are advocating it to, uh, to giving it to our children at some point in time, if I have anything to do with it, they're going to need a good lawyer. And like, and I said the other night, like to me, if I find out that they've sterilized a generation of our uh, youth f from this vaccine, like I won't rest till some of them go to jail. I don't care whether I get elected or not. I'll just try and stay healthy and keep working on it till some of them get held to account because th this. This is something like we've never seen. Like we, this, like some people are saying, oh, this is like the uh, climate hoax. Like the climate hoax, it's all, it's all, it's all fine. I mean, sure, we're paying more taxes than we should, and I mean, it's not really. We all know it's a hoax. I mean, but on the other hand, we pay a little more tax. You know, maybe we can't afford as big a boat as we used to afford, but it's not really killing anybody. You know what I mean? But these vaccines, the, they're killing people, and I mean, these stories of the young people with, uh, with. Uh, you know, myocarditis, vaccine injuries. Like I've got a good friend who's like their 18-year-old had to get vaccinated. Now, I think she's, a, the, story, the last story I heard, she was a massage therapist. Maybe you know who it is. But anyway, she can't work now because she's lost control of her hands. And you think, like, is anybody going to, are we just going to like change the subject? Like, just like Jason talking about equalization and then write one letter and say, well, let's talk about recall now. No, like, uh, there's something has gone horribly wrong here and somebody needs to talk about it. And I don't see anybody unless you elect a few uh, wild rose candidates. I mean, I, if I had my choice, I'd like to see Paul Himmon get elected in uh, Carson in, you know, he's in Tabor Warner. He's running against Grant Hunter. And I like Grant Hunter. He's a good enough guy. I like Garth as well. But at the end of the day, like I said, uh, sometimes one of the hardest things about being the boss is you have to, like uh, the other night, I called it. Sometimes you just have to put a good, uh, you know, useful, you know, workhorse out to pasture. And these guys have been good, useful work pa workhorses. But it's time we put them out to pasture and got, uh, you know, let's 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 send somebody there that's going to hold these people to account on some of these issues. I don't know if I can any end it any better than that. Is there anything else, you know, that? Uh, I haven't asked. Uh, I certainly, um, you know, it's a quick turnaround for this one so we can get it out before, yeah. uh, you know, the official election's called and let a few people listen to it. Is there anything else, you know, uh, that uh, you wanted to make sure, Danny, that uh, people, 
you know, here uh, about you've uh, you've knocked off, you know, when I was thinking uh, the vaccines and certainly everybody knows where yep. I'm at with. Uh, yep. I've, I mean, all you got to do is go back to Mackenzie and Seth Bloom's story of Mackenzie having uh, to play at Notre Dame and, and where that went and everything else. Although I should point out to the listener, I was talking to Seth today. And it sounds like she's doing like really, really well. They've been dealing with some doctors out of the States and uh, finding some ways to, uh, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs. I'm going to call it detox because I don't know exactly what to say. And um, it sounds like uh, things are, are progressing. So I think that's a happy thing for listeners to hear, certainly for me to hear that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it you know, over the last three years, like, I mean, is there a bigger elephant in the room? That, uh, you know, you're waiting, you know, Daniel Smith came out and talked about it, then got attacked vehemently. And ever since then, it's been kind of on the back burner. And she's been scrutinized by the NDP for that the entire time, you know, and it's 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 a wild thing to watch, you know, sitting in this chair, having interviewed so many different people and different families and lockdowns and all these different things, how they've affected the population. So I appreciate you uh, you talking about that openly. Um, But regardless uh, as we close in on the hour mark, is there anything else that, you know, top of mind you want to get in, uh, for, for the voting public here in certainly in Lloydminster, Wainwright, Vermillion, but certainly as you got other wild rose candidates running, if there's something else you want to make sure people know. Well, I mean, the, I think I've made a pretty good case for why I think, uh, people should at least give me fair consideration and think about sending me to Edmonton. But just before we leave this, like the detox and Dr. Hodkinson, just he's formed. I think everybody knows Dr. Roger Hodkinson. I think he's been on your podcast a few times. He spoke at the kids thing in uh, Kit Scotty. Uh, He, I, I've lost, I think he's spoken at literally hundreds. I don't know if he's spoken at a thousand meetings over the last two or three years, but he, he, I just got an email from him earlier this week. They've started a, uh, a new company that's come up with some kind of a detox formula, if you want to call it that, which, uh, I think everybody, and I asked this question, I think at your event in Red Deer, I said, okay, like two thirds of our friends are vaccinated. Is there anything we can do to help them reduce the risk of dying suddenly? Like, I mean, like, let's be honest about this. Like people, people are dying suddenly that you just can't believe, you know, I mean, healthy people, athletes, some of the best athletes in the world are dying suddenly. And so like the fact that they've come up with this, I think, you know, I don't know exactly where they'll find it. I, I just saw it. I've been busy. You know, we, like I said. I, I always point to the FLCCC, yes, but it's good to that, hear that. Right, it's yeah. good to hear that there's a place in Canada uh, doing it. I know yeah. we have Dr. William Mackis yes. uh, coming with Leighton Gray, actually, a lawyer out of Cold Lake. They're coming uh, June 21st to our next For kid for good, the Kids' Sake meeting. Yeah. Uh, Mackis certainly from the, the he talked in Wainwright about uh, different protocols and uh, that should be an interesting meeting. So that'll be yeah. helpful. But I always direct people to FLCCC because they got a lot of useful things on yes. their website. They're, of course, an American company. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think Dr. Mackis is in with Dr. Hodkinson on this. So I oh, mean, there yeah. you go. So, I mean, I mean, that's the good actually, news. Actually, you're right. I, yeah. I actually, I'm pretty yeah. sure you're right. I think he is. And so anyway, well, good for them. No, I think, uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. I'm just trying to think, is there anything else that I should touch on? Because... Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I'd like to just touch on this infrastructure. I talked about raising raising the money locally, you know what I mean? And I did a, a – one of the things, like, you know, Danielle went to uh, – and, and I don't want to criticize her too much because I think she's far and away the best choice for Albertans. But, I mean, I think there's some places here where I think we could, you know, elect some of us to sort of help, you know, help with that. But the uh, – 
the wild rose policy was that we would have we would do sort of a, a long-term assessment of the infrastructure needs of the province. How many hospitals do you need? You know, where do we need roads? I answered this question in 2012 when I was a candidate. Somebody said, "What would you lobby for a new, for an overpass at the Kitscotty Corner?" And I said, "Well, I, I would certainly lobby for a, an overpass at the Kitscotty Corner because you know I think we've lost track of how many loved ones we've lost at that corner." But I said, having said that, if there's some other corner in Alberta that's lost more people at their corner than we've lost at our corner. Well, then I think they should get an overpass first. And I mean, maybe there's two or three other corners that have lost more than... So So, but it, so, what we want to have is an overall infrastructure list of this is how many hospitals we need over the next 25 years. This is how many overpasses we need. This is how many, uh, you know, uh, hospitals, you know what I mean? This is how many schools we need. And right now, I think we're spending... You know, I, I don't know what the, the capital budget is, $10 billion, but let, let's just say the, the list of things we need is $250 billion. So then you put it in the list and you say, okay, uh, we're spending $10 billion a year. So if, you're, if yours is like, you know, between $150 and $160 billion on the list, well, it's 10 years till we get to your hospital. But, but we're all fairly, and this, this is where transparency comes in. If you say, look, here's the list, like, do you want us to, I mean, if Vermilion needs a hospital more than we do, or if, you know, Cardston needs a hospital more than we do, well, I think we're all gracious enough if you have the transparency. But it, what what causes the bitterness and the divide, like we, in 2012, we were joking that uh, our candidate out there said, yes, they've he put a sign up by the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Stelmac government promised to build the Edson Hospital, and he said, uh, he had a big sign, said, fifth major announcement of the Edson Hospital being built, like five elections in a row, they promised it, but they never got around to doing it, you know what I mean? And so, so then, again, coming back to the, you know, Kurt Price asked me the other day on his podcast, well, we need a new arena, would you, like, would you lobby for money for arena? I said, no, like, like when you come down to, like, facility, like, I mean, there's there's some that's just, government infrastructure well in the government we'll have a committee that'll uh, take input from all the it's funny it's funny i I may maybe i'm i'm a weird voter okay but uh i care less about how much you're going to lobby for the area and money and more for what you're going to stand for because uh money corrupts everything and we've seen it oh we're going to get if we just go along with the program we're going to get all this money from the federal government or we're going to get all this money from and this is it's like listen folks this is just Sean, and my thought is simple. I need to know what your values are and what you stand for, because if you don't stand for anything, it means a hill of beans that we get twenty million, but we can't go and see our parents on Christmas. Or you, you kind of get the or, point. I bring it always back to the last three years, because I'm like, have we forgotten where we got to in all this? And I don't want any of that ever to enter again. And when you talk about um, um, digging into some of the the government, it's like. Yeah, we, I think a lot of people are like very interested in that. It would be nice to know. Well, you're right. And see, what it does is it creates division. And when Kurt said, well, would you lobby for arena? I said, no, the community should decide what the community's infrastructure needs are. Like, I mean, some kids don't play hockey, believe it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're, and, we're, you know, I, I hate to get into this, uh, you know, but I, I was just sitting with uh, kids play soccer. Yes. And I was sitting with another soccer parent and he knew as a hockey and goes, oh, you must be excited about the new rink. And I went... Honestly, you know, for the price tag of it, and I don't know, so this is just my speculation, yeah. but I looked at it and I went, I wonder what, what what 20 million for a new rink would have gotten us. And I know I don't know all the ins and outs. And taking the rest of that 
80 million dollars you know because it's yep. close to 100 million yep. that they're gonna end up spending on this and put it into a whole bunch of things that you know uh, well, that, that could benefit all the families because i look at you know i'll bring up chris king in the hoop factory they took an old uh rundown uh shop and turned it into a basketball in my facility my kids get used to that you know bud miller they they put in the new uh, i'll give props to the city they put in new basketball courts new uh pickleball courts tons of people get uh, a ton of use out of that Exactly. And funny you should mention soccer because we have grandkids who are real soccer nuts. And I mean, like, what about a, you know, like we've been to the Red Deer place where they have that big indoor soccer thing and there's a one in medicine that a big indoor. So, so I mean, again, but we end up arguing amongst ourselves. But if you just had a community discussion and said, okay, what do we need work? Like, what's the thing we need most? Then, then, then to me, you, you grow the community instead of dividing the community by saying, no, I'm not just going to pick one winner and say, yeah, you'll have the arena. And then next, next, next time we're getting elected again, guess if the big promise we have to make is something else you know so like i don't think that has served us well at all so i mean we'd like to just get back to where like i say with government infrastructure we'd have an overall plan and then everybody would know when their turn was and within the communities and i said this same thing with the guy at the library in vermilion and i said well no like you need to have a community discussion and decide about uh, what your community wants. You know what I mean? And uh, so anyway, uh, I just want to tell you one story that I was so, sort of cute. I went to one meeting that uh, I think the Chamber of Commerce had organized it or something. And and, uh, and so, I mean, we went there. And of course, I, you know, I was, I was, I guess it was the Wild Rose Canada at the time. But anyway, everybody was there saying, well, we need money for this. We need money for that. We need money for something else. And uh and so one of the guys was speaking said, well, you know, he said, I, uh, I stayed overnight in a hotel and I got up this morning. He said, the meeting wasn't starting until one. So I said to the young lady at the desk, uh, well, it seems like a nice town. Uh, what's there to do in this town? And she said, nothing. I hate this town. <laughs> like, here we are, we're sitting at a meeting and everybody from the chamber is saying, like, we need more money from the government. He said, well, maybe you could just do a little bit of training with your people and say, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, there's this to do, there's that to do. And I think... I've stayed at the port of call for, you know, like since sometime in the 70s. And there's a fellow that works at the front desk. His name is Mo. But I've had more than one person tell me that, uh, oh, I think he's one of the owners. And over the years, I've got to know the owner. And Mo just works at the front desk. But I said, when when the customers think that the guy at the front desk owns the hotel, like you're providing good service. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things we could do to, you know, to build our community, to bring us together, you know, that uh, we don't need the government to do. So I guess I'm sort of looking for... Uh, a few less things for like I'd like the government to do less and do the things they do do better. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming in and do this, and uh, I'm going to apologize once again to all the other candidates because I think uh, sometimes I get it right, and uh, and sometimes I just you know like I'm 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 close to not burnout, but like I'm 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 almost tired of Paul. You know, like the yeah. last little bit has just been on steroids, and um and saying that uh, you know Danny, I appreciate. I mean. I'm sure you're like, well, thanks for having me on. It's yeah. like, and I, I, I appreciate you just, <laughs> I text, I said, you know, I should probably have you on. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, appreciate you coming in and being open and everything else. And I wish the best of luck to you and all the candidates, right? Yeah. Um, I, I uh, certainly, like once again, with Garth, I had him on at the start of the year. Yeah. So he's been on the show and I feel bad for, you know, the other candidates all running because I think it would have been, I've done a disservice to our area. And I'm going to be a little rough on myself here because I think, you know, it's one of these things where you build out the the future of the podcast and certain times you have to make sure that you pay attention to certain issues. And this is one where I just kind of went, the UCP is going to win. I don't know, you know, I, I've talked about this story a long time ago that, you know, when um, uh, 
to me, this area has been such so dominated by the UCP in the last how many elections yeah. that I just went the big the big election was uh, Garth uh, being the nomination for the UCP. So I just kind of threw my hands up and whatever. It's kind of my cynical side that I don't really need to listen to all the other candidates. That sounds terrible, and I know it does. Um, but I sit here, well, now I'm going, like, I really wish I would have talked to all of them, you know, the Green, the NDP, yeah, the everybody, yeah. because I think, you know, as a voting public, one of the things you've brought up is transparency, and one of the things I hope I'm doing a good job of uh, for people is trying to be as transparent about, you know, like, I got no problem talking to, I tried getting Rachel Notley, yeah. it did not work out. Yeah. But uh, in our area, that's that's what we want, you know, like, uh, I, I, I go, I hope that listeners of the podcast, certainly in this area, found some, uh, um, some help in having uh, a different party on that isn't just the UCP. And certainly, I'm, I'm, uh, I got to give a shout out to Blaine for, for talking, not only him, but a couple other men that I really respect for just giving me their thoughts on the debate because he was one of the guys who helped put it on. And those people helped like really spur on like, maybe I should like dig into this a bit more and not just walk in. Uh, I've watched the, ba- the, the debate itself. Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, a podcast, as you know, giving you an hour to yeah. g- expand on your thoughts yeah. is way different than, hey, you got a minute I- and in and out you go. I, I know some of the, uh, like some of these issues, as you know, I think my answers are six or seven minutes long. Like, and you, you just can't do it service in one minute, but to, to, uh, I'd like to be gracious to Rachel Notley for, for I mean, because our freedom conferences, the four years she was premier, we invited her every year. And, uh, every year we got the most gracious letter back saying, I'm sorry, I just can't work it into my schedule, which is fine. But she was very gracious. Quite frankly, like one of the only persons who ever stood us up was Jason Kenney. Like I invited him in person and he said, yeah, I'll be there. And then he called and said, oh, I can't make it. He said, be, said he was you know, going to be away. You know what I mean? So I, you look at this and you think like at least she was gracious to us. And some of my friends said, what are you going to do if she comes? I said, we'll treat her like royalty. You know what I mean, and we'll see what she has to say and we'll have a good discussion. You know what I mean? But again, anyway, to be, to you know, not to be end on a cynical note, but you, it was you that mentioned cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in in twenty in twenty fifteen, Brian Jean was campaigning at Coal Lake, and then there was a function in Wainwright, and some of my friends were quite upset that uh, that he wasn't stopping at Lloyd. And I said, well, I said, and I, I knew the answer, but I said, well, we're either so far ahead we don't need him, or we're so far behind he can't help us. Well, as it turned out, we were so far behind he couldn't help us. But uh, if you'd really like the premier to come to town in the next election. Just elect me this time, and next year, next year, the next election, the premier will be coming to town saying we want to get this seat back for the UCP. So, uh, <laughs> if you know, if he, I hate to be cynical, but if you want the premier to come to town during election time, vote for me on Monday. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate it again, that, Danny. Best of luck and best for, of luck that, to all the thanks candidates. Thanks for having me down. I'll I'll move you a little further from the undecideds. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. And take care. See, thanks a lot.